Hello everyone and welcome to the Disruptor Studio. My name is Alex Gonzalez and today on the show we have Stephanie Stuckey. And if you're like me, when you heard that name, there's absolutely brand recall. And you know, as a Gen Xer, Stuckey's is a name that I've definitely heard of and I felt like I've actually grown up with, even though I don't know if I've actually been to a Stuckey's store. But it is definitely to me uh, an incredible brand that is somewhat iconic and has a lot of history in it, and it actually does. Stephanie Stuckey is actually the granddaughter of the founder of Stuckey's, who founded the company in the 30s, and actually his story is pretty amazing, and the evolution of Stuckey's is, as to me, it is kind of an early example of an entrepreneur really listening to their customer and being close to them and solving some needs to build their brand and their company and building it with a lot of trust. What you may not know, even though there's a lot of history in this 80 plus year old brand, Stuckey's has gone through quite a journey, actually fell out of family hands and actually started falling into some struggles uh, not that long ago. But Stephanie Stuckey actually stepped in and you would say she inherited the company, but she actually bought into the Stuckey's business and is now the CEO just really just over a year ago. What's even more amazing is Stephanie is a lawyer who's had an incredible career in, in uh, civic leadership and in, and in public service, but now she finds herself as an entrepreneur really revitalizing the brand, which is just pretty amazing. So we talk uh, to Stephanie today about the history of Stuckey's, which is just fascinating, kind of some of the innovations the Stuckey's company's had along its way. I talked to her about how she, as someone who's a trained lawyer, who has a successful uh, life in the civic and public world, what made her want to get into the family business and really become an entrepreneur, and also how she's using history to propel the future of Stucky. And then we spend quite a bit of time in terms of how Stephanie herself sees herself effectively running a startup as she re-energizes the brand and the company of Stucky. So I had a great time talking to Stephanie. I'm sure you're going to enjoy the conversation and you'll enjoy hearing from her. So here is Stephanie Stuckey on the Disruptor Studio. Stephanie Stuckey, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, great to have you here in the Disruptor Studio. And, and you know, when you mention your name or you introduce yourself, I'm Stephanie Stuckey, just through your life. Is there is there this is there, is there a pause? Do people like connect it to the brand or how is it having this iconic name as part of your name? It's interesting. I think I was fortunate growing up in that first I did not grow up in the South where the name's better known. Although some people say that Washington, D.C. is southern, it is south <laughs> of the Mason-Dixon line, which technically does make it southern in air quotes. But it wasn't as recognized a brand. My dad was in Congress from Georgia, so we moved right. to D.C. and I spent my summers in Georgia. But I didn't have that sense of it being a name that was a household name as much. And... As much, I, I am clearly very biased that this is a wonderful company that my grandfather built, but I also recognize the reality that our peak was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so we're not as well recognized as we were back in our heyday. And so that's been a good experience for me. I, I think it's not healthy to have 
an unrealistic sense of self. But having said that, there is a pride and the pride is more in what my grandfather did and how he made people feel, how he connected with people and how he made their road trips and their in many cases, their childhood and their family experiences richer. So that's what's rewarding to me. I will say as a funny aside, the, when I do get people recognizing the name, quite often it's accompanied by them saying, well, I'm very good friends with the granddaughter, the grandson of the founder, or I, my boyfriend's family runs the company. I've gotten that a few times. Wow. Usually boyfriend, which cracks me up. And I'm flattered that somebody feels like the name is such a brand that they're going to make up a story. And I've always asked, well, who's your boyfriend? Because I have three brothers. So I thought, well, maybe my brother hasn't told me that he's got a new girlfriend. And inevitably, it's some name that's not a family member. And I I usually (laughs) just go along with it. I'm like, oh, wow, I've always wondered who that family is. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Like, let let him go out there and do that. Yeah, I'm like, really? Okay, that's interesting. Hmm. All right. So so that's what I mean. There's amazing instant recall in it that you you, you know, it's even if you're not exactly sure what it is, you know know that there's some connection with the name. So I think that's just fantastic, too. So I want to definitely get into yeah, no. And look, there's so much uh, you have going on, which it's just so impressive. And, and the energy you have around kind of, I guess, this revitalization of the brand. And we're going to get into that for sure. And I definitely want to talk about your story, because I think for many people, they probably don't even realize that. Um, I mean, you've not been part of the business itself for until, you know, for quite some time. A year ago. So I definitely want to get in, yeah, a year ago. Yeah, so we definitely get in your journey there. Wow. So well, happy anniversary. So um, thank you. But talk, but let's get maybe they can base uh, kind of rebase on to Stuckey's the company itself, and you, you, you talk about. I believe you said it was your grandfather, correct? That that's right. Um, that founded the company. So talk about a little bit of the family history. The, the you know how how Stuckey started and and why it means so much for some of the people that that kind of have an incredible recollection of it. I think the founding story of Stuckey's is one that will have relevance for entrepreneurs today. And so as I give the history of the company, I want to relate it in a way that people today, hopefully it will have some takeaways for them. And my dream is that the people listening today will be thinking about how am I going to build my company and my brand so that maybe my grandchild someday is talking about this brand. Uh, that's what I, that's my wish for people starting out. So I think what's important is that my grandfather started Stuckey's in 1937 in the midst of the Great Depression. And that's important because so many great companies were founded during challenging times. And it's not just companies, it's organizations and it's it's character building. Uh, Some of the companies are like General Electric, Disney, Microsoft, Target. Revlon, uh, Lyft and Uber, the list, Trader Joe's, FedEx, the list goes on and on. And so I want people as they hear the story to, to not be discouraged because we are in economic hard times right now. Right. And we are amidst social unrest. I know the stock market sometimes can be deceiving about where we are with the economy, but I'm thinking about where we are for small businesses and it's 
a challenging time. What my grandfather did was out of necessity, he needed to make extra income. And he started selling pecans on the side of the road to make extra money. We come from a small town in the middle of Georgia, Eastman, and our number one product in Georgia next to poultry and timber is pecans. Georgia is known for our pecan trees. We are the have consistently since the 1950s been the number one state for production of pecans. 90% of the world's pecans are made in the United States. It is a native snack nut of the US. I say all that to say, take advantage of your assets. What are your skills? So he looked around and he realized, I'm in the heart of pecan country. I can get access to good quality nuts that you can't find anywhere else. And so how am I going to introduce this special product to people in a new and interesting way? And he started with this stand on the side of the road, which was a new way to reach people. He was, he had a roadside stand before there was Loves or Pilot or TA, Bucky's, any of those. He was around before the interstate highway system. So he came up with a, a unique product and then an innovative way to get that product to consumers on the road. Most people would go into towns to buy their product. He was catering to a different demographic, and he thought people going down to Florida. So he picked the route that was going to Florida, and he's like, so who is my market? My market are travelers who are going on vacation to Florida and they're driving through Georgia and they want something that captures that unique experience of the South. The pecan is our unique nut. And then he started making candies that were family recipes that had been passed down for generations that are from the South. So he made the candies that people who are listening from the South will know, pralines and divinity and turtles and what we're best known for is the pecan log roll. And then he started adding more local flavor, local produce, jams and jellies and quilts. But there was always this sense of place and people would connect with that because it was authentic. So he grew from that roadside stand to one store to two stores to three stores and really had that sense of experience. The candy was made on site he had a husband and wife manager who lived in the stores and they were the franchisees and they operated the stores and they owned the stores. So he created wealth for his team, his managers and owned the stores. So they had a sense of ownership. And, and that was something he did throughout his life was really build a team where people felt like they were part of something bigger than just a company. So as he grew it, he at our peak, we had 368 stores in 40 states. We had a candy plant. Wow. We had a trucking company. We had a billboard sign company. And so many of his employees would work for Stuckey's their entire lives. Now, I know it was a different era when people would tend to stay with the same company their entire lives. But they really belonged to the company. And as they stayed with the company, he gave them ownership in stores. So he couldn't always afford to give them raises because right. he reinvested in the company, but he would give people ownership in stores. So the husband and wife might own half the store and then he'd have the other half 
he'd give shares to his loyal customers. I mean, his loyal employees. So even people working as truck drivers and on the assembly line and the candy plant, they own shares of Stucky stores. So there was something beautiful about that. Well, model. Be, you made them entre- instant yeah. entrepreneurs too. So he they had to feel ownership too. Yeah. Ownership and entrepreneurship within his company, which I think is just such a amazing story. Uh, so that's sort of yeah. very big picture what he created. And then he sold the stores in 1964. We can get into that a little bit more, but it did fall out of family hands for a very long time. Yeah. So I think I, I did not know this, but I, but I think it's amazing. You know, you hear about, you know, companies getting started and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, family wealth going down to start the company. So There's so many different things, but I think it's just amazing to hear that he started this business out of necessity. I mean, this, mm-hmm. this, this was, uh, you know, and I think that need, and, and let me go back to now, now current times. And I do want to go back kind of a little bit to the history of how it fell out of family hands and so forth. But, but for, for you, and we'll definitely get a little bit about your journey uh, coming on board, but talk about kind of cr- critical times now for you, because you think about how Stuckey's was started and at a time where it was necessary for him. Here you are, you know, probably at your five or six month anniversary mark as the, you know, new CEO and of Stuckey's COVID hits. So how, how kind of get us into your head at that moment in this new venture and this just literally a pandemic, which now is part of our normal vocabulary. But back then it's like, seemed like a movie thing. You know, how did, how how was that for you? And did you take any kind of energy from your grandfather and how he started the business in terms of continuing on? Yeah, I very much tried to channel him. When I took on the company, I inherited three cases of archival material it was almost like opening a time capsule. And a lot of those papers had not been read in, well, they hadn't been in 60 years. Hmm. I say that to say when you're, when you're taking on a legacy brand, and, and I joke sometimes we're like an 80-year-old startup because there is a reinvention there. But I think it's important, even if you're starting a, a brand fresh, and you, you don't have a legacy brand, to look at the history of what you're doing. The, if you're selling right. a product, if you're selling a service, what's the history behind other companies that have offered similar products and services and how they've grown? They're, it's important to look backwards to, to yeah. take those lessons as you move forward. And so I spent months just reading through my grandfather's papers, and there were there were easily a hundred articles on his company and how he did business and how he managed. And I took reams and reams of notes and condensed it into mm. a three page summary. I say all that because there are lessons from the past that you can draw on for the future. And one of the best lessons I learned from how Stucky, as he was called, ran the company was that if, if something something in the economic environment or the external forces in the world were happening that severely impacted his business, he would just figure it out and, and, and change. He didn't try to cling on to what he was hmm. doing that clearly wasn't working. And I'll give two examples of that. One is when World War II hit. At that point, he had three stores and sugar rationing and 
rationing in general hit, but sugar rationing in particular, there were other critical ingredients in his product as well. But he had to have sugar to make candy. At that point, he was largely a candy company, but also the pecans. And he had to figure out how to move forward. And what he did was he started selling to the troops. Now, that helped with our war effort as well. So if you can pivot in a way that is also not just helping your business, but helping your community deal with the crisis, that's a lesson I learned from him. So he started selling to the troops. If you sell to the troops, you got access to sugar. That actually right. turned out to be a positive for his company, not only a positive for our country and our troops, giving them a good energy boost with his candy products, but he had to box his product, which he had never done before. He made his product on site. The candy was made in the store, so it was served fresh. He had to create packaging, so he had to, he had to build a candy plant. So he could make the packaging. It wasn't just made on site in the stores. And then he started making attractive boxes that he was selling. So it was a whole new line of business that he created, a whole new category of product. Well, not a new category, but a different way of distributing and getting it to his customers. And then when the war was over, he had introduced all these GIs to Stucky's Candy. So when they came back, they knew Stucky's candy and we had new customers. So that was one that was one thing he did. The other is when the interstate highway system was created in the 1950s, like between 1952 and 1958, many roadside establishments failed because they were on the on the state roads. And my grandfather recognized right. what was happening. He shut down his stores and he built new ones. And he used that as an opportunity to be resilient. And the very definition of resilient is not just the ability to bounce back, but the ability to bounce back stronger. You don't go back to the status quo. He didn't build the stores just like he had them. He said, this is an opportunity for me to build back stronger. So he came up with a new design for his stores that became no, his stores became synonymous with the design. It became his marketing strategy. So those of you who remember the Stuckies in our classic day, it was a it was a teal sloped roof, and he had this zigzag design for the car canopy over the gas pumps. He formed a partnership with Texaco Gas, and so Texaco wanted to be on the interstate highway system, so he had the Texas signage. He, Texaco signage, he started modernizing his logo and his signage, and he had the yellow billboards and signs with the red logo. So right. he used it as an opportunity to be stronger. So what did I do at Stuckey's? I tried to think like he would have thought. What can mm. I do to build back stronger? We got to get on the internet. We were already on the internet, but sales were lackluster. We weren't marketing and our website needed an upgrade. We have a very limited budget, I might add. So I invite people to go to our website. It's www.stuckies.com. This is less of a sales pitch and more of a invitation to give me feedback because we're working on the website. It is much improved. And I had very limited dollars for marketing, but I invested in some marketing dollars to drive people to the website. I got us on Amazon. I got us on eBay. I expanded our merchandise line, I expanded our candy line, and started putting more stuff up on the web. And sales have increased 
five times. It was dramatic. Wow. The other thing we did is we looked at where, what retail stores are doing well. Now, people are still on the interstate. They are still traveling, but traffic is down. So mm -hmm. we continued to supply to our stores. They were still open, but sales were down. In-store, you know, same-store sales from last year were... And April was our hardest month. I think that is I'm consistent sure. throughout the retail industry. April was a hard hit. And we, you know, we continued to sell to our stores, but not in the volume that we had or that we had budgeted for. So I looked at what retail operations are thriving. Grocery stores are thriving. Unfortunately, that's a whole other episode, but grocery stores are a challenge if you're a small <laughs> operation. Uh, we sold the candy plant. We now outsource our product. I'm soon to change that, but right now we are still outsourcing our product. So we couldn't scale to meet a grocery store chain or meet the slotting fees. There's a lot of fees that are involved right. with being in the grocery. And quite often you have to go through their distributor, even though we have our own distribution center, you have to go through their preferred distributor. So that wasn't a market for us, but general stores, mom and pop small chains ace hardware stores are a great mm. opportunity for us so ace people are going to hardware stores during the lockdown yeah. they're renovating their homes they're stuck at home they're going to their local ace hardware store they're going to their local community places so we started really pushing to ace hardware we're now in almost 200 ace hardware locations uh, it's independently owned stores uh, and some of them have small chains. So we expanded to selling to B2B, business to business retail. Yep. And actually our past two months, our sales to our B2B partners have exceeded sales to our, our Stucky stores. I think that's the first time in the history of the company. So we're having to rethink things and then I've got yeah. to figure out how to rebrand to say, Yes, we're your roadside retail partner, and we're bringing the road trip to you by offering the product in these other locations. We've had to do that out of necessity, just like my grandfather yeah. did things I mean, I out think of that... necessity, right? And now I've got to rebrand and figure out, like, how do, how do we reach the consumer? How do we let the consumers know we're not just on the interstate and, and yeah. be true to the brand? I'm, it's ever-evolving. Running a business is constantly evolving. I love how you are using history to innovate forward and to take those lessons of how our, you know, how your, how your grandfather was able to take such massive events and the wars and depressions and all that and to move forward, I think is just um, an incredible uh, leadership study. You know, I, I, you know, I think so. I think that's pretty special. I, I want to kind of get into um, speaking to proud Gen Xers in terms of, you know, growing up um, with Stuckies, but, but I think there's a, this little bridge, as you mentioned, I think it was around 64 that the company fell out of company out of family hands. That's now, right. I want to start understanding how, what Stuckies meant to you as a kid and Stuckies the business, not Stuckies, obviously the family name. But to talk a little bit about that transition first in terms of, because I think it ties to what you're doing today, obviously, but how it fell out of family hands and what did that mean with the family? And then as a kid, did these roadside stores even mean anything to you, you know, growing up? Yes. So my grandfather sold the company a year before I was born in 1964. Yeah. And so I, throughout my life, Stuckey's 
well, my childhood, we got back in family hands in 1985. My dad reacquired the company. But yeah, most of my growing up years, it was no longer owned by the family. Why he sold, this is, this is a pattern you see throughout classic brands. And I've been studying, like I encourage listeners, even if you're not inheriting a nostalgic brand, look at how other companies that are in your space have been run. And so a lot of what I do is not just studying my grandfather and how he ran Stuckey's, but I've studied Dunkin' Donuts and Howard Johnson's Holiday Inn, Howard uh, uh, Waffle House, Chick-fil-A, a lot of these brands that were founded around that time that are family brands that have a certain nostalgic appeal and uh, I'm particularly interested in ones that fell out of family hands. And I have yet to find one that went back in family hands. So I would be fascinated if anyone is listening and knows a brand that went back into family hands. I want to I have a little club for us. It might be a, a club of two. We can meet in a closet or something. But I'm fascinated with that. So growing up, Yes, I did have a very strong sense of the brand because even though it fell out of family hands, my grandfather remained involved for a good decade after he sold. He sold for the same reason that many of these classic brands sell, because he could no longer keep up with the pace of growth. You, you get a successful idea, concept, service, brand, and it takes off. How do you manage that growth? That is a problem that all entrepreneurs have if, if they're fortunate to be successful. And you can manage that growth by bringing more people into your team, maybe getting investors. There's a myriad of ways, but you can also sell. And right. that's what he did. He sold out and the offer was great. He made a lot of money. At the time, it seemed like a good fit. It was Pet Dairy Corporation, a St. Louis, Missouri-based milk dairy company. Many people know them for their evaporated milk and condensed milk products. They they also own Whitman's candy samplers. Mm. So they had a connection. And my grandfather was very close with the CEO. So this is lesson learned. Relationships are important in business, but you also have to be aware that especially today's business market, I now read Wall Street Journal every day and a ton of trade publications, especially in roadside retail. It is such a competitive market and M&As, mergers and acquisitions happen all the time. They're corporate takeovers, CEOs are ousted. It's constantly dynamic and fluid. So if you are selling to a company, a partnering with a company primarily based on a relationship with one individual, and that individual leaves, the entire d- dynamic can change. Right. And that's what happened to my grandfather. He had a connection with the CEO of Pet, who became a close family friend. His name was Ted Gamble. He died in his 40s of a heart attack, completely unexpected. The wow. new CEO came in, did not have that same connection with the brand or my grandfather. My grandfather who had been head of the Stuckey's division of PET, was very involved. So there was a whole decade there when I was a kid, up until 1976, when Stuckey's was still largely guided by my grandfather. And he was on the PET board. But then the new CEO came in. He ousted my grandfather. My grandfather sadly died a year later. 
And I remember at the very end something sad about my grandfather, even though he died of um, what we think was a brain aneurysm. He collapsed at dinner and died later that evening. So, but there were signs near the end, I remember that, uh, where he was acting like, not like himself. And I was very fortunate, though, because I do remember my grandfather very well. I have strong memories of going to the stores, of seeing the stores in their heyday, of going to the candy plant with him, talking to him about the business. That's one thing I really respected about him was that my grandmother was always a partner with him in the company and he valued her opinion and she was very involved with business and he talked to me about business. And Mm. so I, I really value that. So that's how it fell out of family hands. It got back in family hands because The company that bought Stucky's pet was taken over in a hostile takeover by a Chicago railroad conglomerate. So you see this with companies, they get bought out and then another company buys them and then you become this small subsidiary of a big company that just sees what your brand was that was very special as an item on a financial statement. And that's the difference between a family brand that has a lot of emotional connection. And I believe in that emotional connection. I think that's important. I think people want connections. They, they don't want to just do business with Wall Street, they want to do business with people that they connect with. I think even today, that's what gives brands sticking power and resilience is making that personal connection. And so we became a line item on a balance sheet. We lost hundreds of stores, the brand suffered terribly. They were being sued by former, well, by franchisees, and the company basically approached my dad and and offered him the, the company back uh, for pretty much nothing. It, it was not mm-hmm. valued. It was it was a it was a liability on their books. So they were happy right. to get rid of it. My father was running a lot of other companies at the time. He was extremely successful with Dairy Queen. He founded and ran for decades interstate dairy queen corporation so he had the franchise rights to all the dairy queen stores on the interstate highway system that was his company that was his bread and butter he kept stuckey's afloat by aligning it with dairy queen so he co-branded way before you would see co-branding on the interstate so co-branding i think most people know but if you go to a pilot truck stop for example you'll see a wendy's and a duncan you'll see several brands under one roof my father started doing that with Dairy Queen and Stuckey's, made perfect sense for what he was doing. And D- Stuckey's was largely kept alive because my dad co-branded with Dairy Queen. Then my dad, fast forward, sold Dairy Queen, his Dairy Queen to Warren Buffett, who owns wow. American Dairy Queen. Yeah. Very, very advantageous. Now that's, that's a merger that made a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Queen, acquires Interstate Dairy Queen. So my dad and his team largely all retired and left Stuckey's with only a skeleton crew about a decade ago without a CEO, without a marketing budget, without a strategic plan, without any uh, strong leadership. And my dad's former business partners came to me a year ago and offered me their shares in the company. I bought them out. So I did not inherit the company, unlike a lot of third-generation members of family right. businesses. My path is very different. I, I bought the company. You bought, your way in, you bought your way into the family business. I bought business. my way in, and six months later, I bought out my father. 
uh, which is a whole other conversation, but I'll say that I think we reached the point where I could either have a father or we could be in business together. And I think we both recognized it made sense for me to buy him out. <laughs> and now it's great because he, I really do sincerely value his opinion, but the dynamic is so much healthier now. Yeah. And uh, we're in a really, really good place. We've, I've always had a strong relationship with my father and I so respect him and his views. So, so during that's, this, um, that's it. That's a big, that, no, it's, it's a, it's pretty amazing. And, and there's so much to explore even about that decision point for you, you know, about a year ago or a little over a year ago, but talk about, um, you, you know, you're talking about it coming, um, you know, in and out of family hands, but when you were younger, you know, when you're like a, a teenager, what did you, what were you thinking in terms of what you wanted to be when you grow up? Did you view yourself going into this route? Because you, because we'll, we'll get, we'll start getting into this now, but because you obviously went this, this path of, you know, public service and, yeah. you know, sustainability and so forth, which, which is amazing and, and very successful at that. But what were you thinking about, um, you know, when you were, when you were growing up in the family? I think, uh, so I'm giving a shout out to middle children. <laughs> I was, I'm number four of five kids in, by my father, and I'm number five of seven grandchildren by my grandfather wow. on the Stucky side. So I was never the heir apparent to run the business. Mm. And even when it got back in family hands. And so I think that was good because I didn't get this sense of entitlement and also having it the company was out of family hands up until I was in college. Right. So right. there really was not a sense of this is mine that I think you sometimes see the classic third generation business is that the third generation is the generation that screws it up quite often or, or wealth, third generation wealth, they screw it up. Well, there wasn't a lot of wealth in Stuckey's by the time right. it had been trashed. At our peak, it was phenomenally successful. My grandfather made a lot of money. And thank God he left a, a trust fund that was used for my education. So I certainly benefited from that. I got a quality education. I'm so grateful to my grandfather for that. But there was not a lot of wealth left with the Stuckey's. My older brother, one of my, my oldest brother used to joke well, we sure have a lot of money in uh, rubber snakes and pecan rolls. <laughs> that was sort of the remnants of our inheritance by the time it had been picked clean by the vultures of the Chicago Railroad conglomerate. So that was that was a positive, I think. I didn't I didn't have that sense of, of this is what I'm going to do. What I wanted to do and what I did do was public service. And Which is a little bit of the family business yeah. too, in a bit, right? In a way. Oh right? my gosh. Yeah. Yes. My grandfather, Stucky, was a state representative. Yeah. And my father was in US Congress. And actually my great grandfather was the county sheriff for thirty years. So wow. I am the fifth generation Stucky to be an elected office. And I ran, I, I decided in high school actually that I was interested in public service. And I was at Vanderbilt and I got involved in student government and young Democrats. I'm now trying to be more of an independent, but my background <laughs> is politics. So I right. was active in young Democrats and our congressman came to talk to our young Democrats club and Vanderbilt's a pretty conservative place. There were about eight of us at that meeting. 
Our congressman was Al Gore. And I'll never no. forget, he showed up and there were so few of us and he didn't skip a beat. He didn't look disappointed or say, well, I've got to be going <laughs> after five minutes. He said, let's just pull up a chair and have a conversation. And we, we sat in a circle and talked with him. And wow. he talked about the environment and I became interested in the environment at that point and wow. public service. It's pretty cool. It's kind of cool to have that one moment that kind of was the yeah. connection and I have point a picture. for you. I have a picture yeah. of that. It's framed. And I sent it to him and he signed it. And I had the big 80s hair and eyeshadow <laughs> and a Laura Ashley dress. So Gen Xers, shout out for our bad fashion choices. So yeah, that really got me started. And then I continued. I ran to be a delegate for the Democratic Convention. I was the youngest delegate in 1988. So I guess I'm dating myself. I was active in student government. I was president of my law school class my third year and just continued that. I worked on a lot of political campaigns. And then I ran for the state house at age 32 and served for 14 years. And the environment was my driving issue. Right. Left politics the way I think is best. I decided not to seek reelection. And I firmly believe as my my father and my grandfather did that public service is not a profession or career. It should be something you do to give back, but you, you need to not stay in elected office too long because you get an exaggerated sense of, of self and you become more interested in keeping your position than right. affecting change. And I got frustrated, frankly, being in the minority party in Georgia, which we're no longer in the minority party, right, maybe right. at least on the presidential level for the first time since 1992. But I got tired of, I felt like I had sort of, uh, I, I had, I had plateaued. So I decided I was going to go back to being a lawyer and which I had been, but I was going to focus on that full time. And I ran an environmental nonprofit law firm, right. represented Riverkeepers and Sierra Club. And then Mayor Kasim Reed, contacted me and asked me to be head of sustainability for city of Atlanta. And I did that. And when he left office, I left and I was happily serving as head of sustainability for a wonderful organization, nonprofit, South Face Energy Institute. And then I got the call to run Stuckey's. So, yeah. So, so to one, I think you, you bring up something interesting that could apply to business too, about, you know, if you're, if you're driving change, sometimes if you're in that role too long, it's about keeping your job, not driving changes. I think it applies, by the right. way, in corporate America and business too, depending what your role is. Or, or you know, it, it could be a call to you have to kind of be reinventing your role too. Okay, Stephanie, so so let's talk about that moment, though. You get you get the phone call or, 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 or either from your, from your dad or from your investors about uh, becoming part of Stuckey's or buying into Stuckey's in this case. Buying Stuckey's, yeah. So, so... Talk about that moment, because you had a lot of options, obviously, uh, what, what you could do. You had no, you know, there's no, re you don't have to go into the family business. But you made this decision that some would say is, you know, obviously risky and, and, and there's a lot of work to do with the brand. So what was that, that compelling internal argument you had with yourself to kind of jump into this uh, incredible opportunity? Yeah, so I was not looking to change careers. I devoted... 30 years plus to environmental advocacy and, and law and was very happy where I was. 
I think it's important to know, like sometimes when you get these life-changing decisions in front of you, it's not always an instant yes. It was, I'll think about it. And I did. I spent about two months really assessing my options and trying to understand what I was getting myself into. And to be perfectly transparent, I was looking at a company that had been losing money for the past five years. And we had six figures of debt or not debt. We were in the red six figures. We ended 2019 losing money. And so I, I went to financial experts and I consulted more than one. I talked with three and two said, don't buy the company. (laughs) And because they looked at the books and the third said, you should do it. And the third person was someone who knew my family and knew the brand and knew what it was capable of. And, and I knew what it was capable of too. And I think that's something important if you're looking at investments, there are intangibles that you're not going to see on a balance sheet. And that was the trademark and that was the brand and that was the value of the brand that had not been tapped into. So it was hard to quantify that for people who really didn't connect with the brand or know what we could be in the 1970s. And I think I still have a lot of naysayers. I get all sorts of comments from people through various social media channels and and emailing me and messaging me. Some people just say, I I got a post yesterday that said, you're you're about as useful as a Chia pet, your brand. (laughs) Oh, wow. Ouch. So politics taught me thick skin (laughs) and not everyone is going to love you and not everyone's going to love your brand and that's okay you've got to know who your who your tribe is i'll use a seth godin term for those of you who follow that the marketing gurus yep readings and his blogs and all his posts i love him and you need to know your tribe and that's who that's who you're doing it for. But I knew the value of this brand. And then there was a sentimental attachment. And I did not want to see the family's legacy and the way it was going to end, which is we would have been sold to somebody outside the family. No, no other family members were interested. And we would have lost the, the, the connection with the family. Right. And the, the outside buyer was interested mostly in the trademark. And so you would have seen some Stuckey's merchandise with our logo on some T-shirts or mugs online, maybe on Amazon at cut rate prices with us having no design control over it. I just couldn't let that happen. And, you know, what you regret most in life are things that you didn't try, right? right. There's rarely, I I can't think of anything that I've done, even if I failed at it, that I I regret because I needed that failure to learn. And the things that I've regretted are the things I didn't do. And I, this would have been a big one. This would have been a big regret. And And, and, and as you get into this, though, I've been really impressed in terms of, particularly if you follow uh, Stephanie on social media. So that's all our Disruptor Studio listeners. Make sure you do. Um, 
because you have been building this incredible following on your journey and as you're bringing the road trip back. So, so let's talk a little bit about that kind of step as you start looking forward. I mean, you really are making these road trips yeah. and, and, and taking the world with you. So talk about why that's so important and what are you learning as you, first of all, what is your road trip? You know, what, what are yeah. you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> and why was that such an important step for you as uh, here in your first year? Well, it was part of my learning. And I think when you take on a company, I didn't have the luxury of growing up in the business. And I've connected with some other uh, three Gers, which are third generation Mm. CEOs of family businesses. Uh, The CEO of Radio Flyer reached out to me and left such a nice message for me. We've exchanged um, several communications. He calls himself the chief wagon officer, by the way. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, I didn't have the luxury. A lot of these third generation members of family businesses, they grew up in the business in a way that that coached them for that business in a really smart way. Like they started out at a low level working on an assembly line or working in the, you know, if it's a grocery store stocking shelves, I talked to a 3 g who his family has a chain of grocery stores and he was stocking shelves. So they grew up in a way that they were brought up in the business at all levels. I didn't, I didn't have that. So I had to learn the business and we're on the interstate highway system. And so I decided I'm going to start visiting every store and seeing the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's, you draw on your life's experiences just because politics is, is different from running a, a company in many ways. A lot of those skill sets are the same. A lot of the strategy is the same. My strategy with a political campaign was I went out and knocked on doors and I met right. people. You do a listening tour when you first decide to run. Yes, you know why you, you're running. You got to have that ele- elevator pitch. I knew why I wanted to take on Stuckies. I knew I wanted to revive the brand, but I still needed to take feedback to inform that decision and make it more robust and really hear what the customers are saying and talking to the people who are running the stores. We don't have any corporate-owned stores, so I frankly think that's a real disadvantage for us because we have limited control. But I needed to understand the franchisees and what was making them work, and I needed to go visit them and and meet them at the stores. And so it, it started as that is I'm just going to visit the stores. And then I realized it was more than just going to the stores. One, it gets a little boring traveling seven hours by car and not pulling over. And my entire life, (laughs) I have loved to road trip. And I do the classic, explore the back roads, and I go to Goofy Golf and the (laughs) gator petting zoos and the Wiki-Wachi and Six Gun Territory, for those of you who remember my favorite roadside attraction now gone south of the border. I, I love those places. I can't pass up a fireworks stand. And I, I, it happened organically, but I realized that what I was doing was the road trip. The, the, and and I, I was saying the Great American Road Trip, and then I started learning more, and I knew about this, but the history of the road trip, and especially in the South, where, where Stuckey's is at our strongest, is different for people of color. And so I'm, I'm trying not to say revive the great American road trip because there were some things that were not so great about right. the, um, the road trip in, in the heyday of the 70s and the 60s. So 
I'm thinking more of reviving just that that sense of getting on the road and that sense of exploration and seeing the back roads and seeing small town America. And so that's what I've started chronicling. And people have picked up on that and connected with that. And that's what I'm trying to revive. And that that sense of of fun and experience and and that that's what we are at our and core. We are road trips. And it seems like it's, it's what's connecting you, obviously, you know, just very pragmatically, you know, what's happening in stores and out there. It's probably giving you some inspiration as you go out there. It's bringing people along the journey. So there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot going on. Now, let's get about kind of maybe the other side as you as you are getting into running this business. And as you mentioned, this is not your traditional or stereotypical third generation. You know, yeah. I've, I've worked my way up the company. So my sense is there's people who are viewing, hey, you're, you're not from this industry. How could you oh, be yeah. running a business? Talk about kind of the obstacles you face and, and kind of multiple dimensions in being what I hate to use the term non-traditional CEOs because I think it's, I, I think this is where the power comes in in terms of the inspiration. But I think some people might look at you and maybe even potential investors or partners might say, well, this is not how the industry works, Stephanie. You didn't grow up in it. Do you face that challenge, one? And, and two, how do you kind of work through that? Absolutely, I face that. And I had one experience with a potential investor. And to be clear, we are not actively seeking investors. Investors right. are seeking us out. It's fascinating to me. There are dollars to be invested right now, even though the economy is bad there are a lot, there's a lot of private wealth in this company, in this right. company, in this country. This country, yeah. And there's a lot of private equity firms that are looking at places to invest their dollars. And some of them are looking for a diversified portfolio and Stuckey's sometimes rounds out that portfolio. There are some that are in a similar space. And I get just the whole gamut. I have, I will have a conversation with anyone in this space because it's a learning opportunity for me. And we might find a good fit. The good thing is we are growing organically. I said when I took on the company, we were losing money and had been for five years. Within six months, despite the pandemic, we started showing a profit and we've consistently been showing a profit every month since June. And uh, we're trending in the right direction. And you know, so many companies that we know have never been profitable. Right. And I don't think people realize that. Like Airbnb is not profitable. Uber is not profitable. Tesla is not profitable. That doesn't mean it's not a great company, but being profitable is, is a pretty darn big deal, in my opinion. And it shows there's something there, there's a there there, and there's something that we're doing right that we need to keep on doing. And I say we, because even though we're small, we're mighty, and I've got a nice team that is loyal and has been with the company a long time and I truly value and I'm grateful for them every day. But one of these investors, and this was a Wall Street type, so I'm learning <laughs> more and more who's a good fit for us potentially and who's really worth having a real conversation with. And they said, well, uh, we, we really like Stuckey's, we like the brand, we think there's promise, but we would like, and, and we're interested in investing significant. I mean, they were looking at, um, eight figures and they said, but we want controlling interest and uh, we want controlling equity. We want controlling membership on the board and we want to put in a real CEO. Oh my. 
<laughs> Don't tell me they actually use the term real CEO. They said real CEO. Oh, and I, I just paused and I said, we're just not a good fit. And I think you feel that way as well. And I got this long email from the main investor like three days later saying we're not a good fit. And I said, that's right. We're not a good fit. It's it's very personal for me. So I didn't take offense because I do know that there are there's experiences that I lack. There are skills that I lack. And I work hard to complement those with other people on the team, but also to make sure I'm learning myself. So I'm not just telling my business partner, and I now have a business partner. We have a president, I'm CEO, and he runs a, he ran a pecan snack company that's now merged with Stuckey's. His name's R.G. Lamar, and he's amazing. And he's got good financial experience, but that doesn't, that doesn't uh, give me an excuse for not understanding financial reports and not understanding how to read a financial statement and look beyond the statement and know what's, what's underneath there. So it's important for me to gear up my, you know, to put on my big girl pants (laughs) (laughs) and gain the skills that I need to be in this role and to respect that it's not the same as being an environmentalist in a nonprofit in Atlanta. It's not. And so you've got to you've got to adapt. You gotta step up to the plate and figure out what what I've gotta to do to make this company a success if you really believe in it, and I do. But it seems and it seems like that's the irreplaceable part, because um, it seems like on you know, this journey you're going on, it's it's rooted in your fundamental belief in what tangibly and intangibly Stuckey's means or can mean to the world. And, um, and, 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 you know, and it's interesting as you, as you follow your story and as we've talked before, there's like this design mind to you. I mean, there's these things coming that, that you, yeah. that you have within you that if someone looks on paper, Oh, attorney, you know, public office that don't correlate, but you have kind of a, a, a brand mind, a, a, a design flair, um, and, and a customer experience view that's just natural from within you. That's just complemented by all these other experiences, and when they collide together, then kind of form the CEO and the leader you are. I, I mean, I mean, do you see yeah. that new skills coming coming out of you like that? Absolutely. I think your your life experiences build on what you what role you take, and I think too often especially in the corporate world, but you see this everywhere. You look at a resume and you want to see experiences that are the same for the role that you're filling. And you lose out on bringing in different perspectives and creativity to the table if you are just looking for something very specific. And that's not to say like we just hired a a new warehouse manager. Well, we've got to have someone who understands how to operate a distribution center. But he had some really amazing different experiences in his life that really made his resume stand out. And so I I look for that and I think it brings value to a team if people have different life experiences. You know, I heard something the other day and I take in information from so many sources, I'm sorry I can't attribute it to the source, but they said, why do we just in the corporate world have our business title and that's what we lead with? That's what you right. see on the LinkedIn profile, you know, CEO of Stuckey's. Why can't I also say CEO of Stuckey's and environmentalist and 
dancer because yeah, yeah. I love to dance. I Before COVID hit, it breaks my heart. I can't dance, but I take dance classes. I usually take three a week. That's part of me as well. Why do we just have to be boxed in and say, I'm a CEO, that's me, that's what I'm known by. I think that's flawed thinking. We should have more of a holistic approach to how we run businesses. And the other thing I think that is really hard for us, but the ability to take in criticism in a way that you process it positively and say, all right, how can I use this feedback to make myself better, to make myself stronger? And that is something you learn in politics that I think is so important. Sometimes if you're the CEO, you surround yourself with people who think like you. And because you're, you're the CEO and you control people's jobs, they're reluctant to give you their feedback. And right. a lot of CEOs aren't on social media the way I am. Right. Uh, and, and some are, but I'm out there because I've been out there as a politician. So I'm used to being putting my myself out there. And that means getting I've gotten some pretty like the Chia Pet comment. I mean, I've gotten some comments that are yeah. ouch, but I think there's a grain of truth in some of that. And you have to be able to look at that objectively sometimes and say, OK, how can I think of ways to improve and keep your energy up? That's your number one job. Keep your energy up. Don't let all the naysayers bring you down, but also recognize they might have some things that will you can pull some value out of. Yeah, and definitely, I think being out there too, and especially for the family brand, you are the brand, and and, and, and you know, you're not. I think for any leader or anything, you're not. You know, you know, having some resistance or or a lot of resistance could be a positive thing, right? And so, you know, yeah. in terms of driving, you you're not going to. You can't self. solve everything, right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not for everyone, you know, right. I, I'm, it's hard for me because it's, you're right. I'm, this is the personification of the brand. It's my name, but I, you got to know what your place is and, and who your tribe is and what your brand stands for. And you got to stick to that. But at the same time, you could take feedback. You can yeah. hear what people have to say. Well, I, well, I do want to talk about kind of. I do want to ask about you know what what is you know Stucky's you know uh, a decade tw- from now or another generation from now. Before we do that, um, I, I want to make sure we have some time for a few kind of quick and fun questions here. Some some really really quick uh, kind of quick response stuff, especially with sure. your experience of last year. So so uh, I'll start with this, and we we normally ask uh, people what their favorite getaway is. Of course, you've been on the road trip. But uh, but what is what's been your favorite uh, um, without and we, we're going to assume you love all your stops you make. But what's your what's been your favorite road trip stop so far? Route sixty six. The gotcha. road is the attraction. That's pretty cool. That's it's- what's so special about it. It is the attraction. The road is amazing. There we and go. It's historic. It's historically designated. How about, um, this could be anywhere here in your hometown of Atlanta or anywhere else, favorite restaurant? I love Empire State South. That's in Atlanta. Yes, that's a good one. They get Southern food and the chef is from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you you love that kind of, you know, you love that contradiction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Now, as a fellow Gen Xer, this could be as when, how, whatever, whenever, whatever era you want. And this has been so important during this pandemic time. But a favorite movie 
or show or or series? Uh, okay, show. I'm gonna go with the Twilight Zone, the original with Rod oh, wow. Serling. The original one. That's good. Yeah, because there was always a twist, and it made you think. And I love his style. I, yeah. I grew up watching that. I I actually grew up watching the the reruns. I think I can't remember when it originally aired, but in the mid '70s, when I was, I'd come home and have my wasted youth propped in front of a TV set. Uh, that's what I watched. I came Very from good. School. Now here's one getting a little bit more, a little bit into. Well, this could be about you or you as a leader. But what is one, what is one of your pet peeves? What's the thing that drives you, drives you crazy, um, particularly in your in your role? Indecisiveness. Mm. I think you weigh your options. You don't make a decision right away. You weigh your options. You think about what you want to do. You don't take too long, but once you make your decision, you make a decision and you, you stick to it. Like this, this is it. You don't keep rehashing and rehashing. And that, that uh, drives me crazy. I can be extremely impatient with that. I'm like, no, we're not, we've done that. We've made that decision. We're not going back. We're not talking about that again. I'm hitting the delete button on the, your email questioning that one. <laughs> I'm moving on. It's a very yeah. CEO like somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what habit of yours drives your friends, your coworkers, your family crazy? Probably my impatience. Hmm. Yeah, I'll get, and my grandfather had this as well as my father did. So we are probably all ADHD and never got diagnosed. But the idea of, oh my gosh, I got this great idea. Let's go do it. And I want it now. Yeah. You know, and uh, I guess the other thing that probably drives all but one team member crazy and everyone I've ever worked with, they have told me very clearly it bothers them. I am a early riser. I get up at 5 a.m. and I'll usually start firing off emails like 530 in the morning. I've gotten a little better. I now wait till six because I've started meditating. So I wait till six. <laughs> but and I my CFO is awesome and Greta's up at six too. She's in the office by seven, so she and I are like totally aligned. But yeah, and that's a productive could be a productive productive time before the rest of the world gets going. Yeah. So yeah. Well, actually, my new business partner he's he's grew, grew up a f in the farming family, so he's good with that. Oh, geez, yeah. It's like okay, yeah. it's like well, it's lunchtime, isn't it? <laughs> he's third generation. He's pecan farmer. He's like, yeah, we're up. Yeah, you can, you can text me at five. I'm up. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's start about uh, before we wrap up here. I uh, love to uh, when you think about Stuckies because you're really even though it, it, you know if you talk when you talk to you it, it, it's it's like you've been in this role for so long as you build it in terms of your command of, of, of the brand and how you want to take this business. But if you think about Stuckies five years, ten years from now, um, what is it? What's that kind of narrative you want people to say about it? That's one. And the second thing, kind of getting even personal. You know, how do you want Stuckey's to be seen by the fourth generation leader of Stuckey's um, in, in the future? What legacy do you want to leave behind? Yeah, so five, ten years from now, we do have a strategic plan. In fact, I was working on it this morning before the podcast. Perfect. And I see the company and my partner shares this with me. And we we want to grow the stores, but in a way that makes them really special flagship locations. We don't have a vision of a thousand stores or hmm. even 300 and 
50 plus doors like my grandfather had, we the, the landscape has changed on the interstate. It's a lot more competitive. Right. Real estate is more expensive. I don't see us going the direction of these large travel plazas with 20,000 square feet. I've met with a lot of different developers and taken a lot of input and that's not our brand. I see us as having very unique, special roadside experiences that we can offer to a particular customer that, that values that. Right. And we're gonna be a smaller footprint store. We're gonna sell gas. We're gonna have clean restrooms. We're gonna have the, the consistency and the basics that you need. We're not gonna have hundreds of stores. So you may have to wait 20 stops to get to the Stuckies and we'll be- Make it a destination it. itself. Yeah, and we will have a sense of place. We'll have a sense of, yes, there's consistency in the overall design of the stores and the feel of the stores, but you will also know that you are in Missouri if you go to a Stuckey's mm. that's on Route 66 because there will be local flavor. We will sell local products. We will sell souvenirs from Route 66. And if you go to Florida, there's going to be some fresh produce with oranges and mm. lemons out front. And if you're in South Carolina, I keep assessing South Carolina with fireworks, but you'll have fireworks. <laughs> uh, you'll, every store is going to be a unique experience and there's not gonna be a ton of them. Where we are driving our profit and our growth, and I'm recognizing that, is through the sale of our products. Mm. It's our merchandise, our candy, and our, our pecan snacks. And in less than five years, in the very near future, we will own our own manufacturing facility. So that's going to be the growth for us. So that will be part of that special experience you get. You will get product that you that Stuckey's is known for. You will get Stuckey's branded product when you pull over at Stuckey's, which is different from all the other stores. Yes, they all have, a lot of them have branded Pilot, may have branded coffee and branded um, snacks or something, but they're not known for it. They're known for being a big truck plaza that you can get right. cheap gas, right? That's what they're known for. And frankly, I think Pilot and TA and Loves are somewhat indistinguishable and I stop at them all. They're, they're very similar. I want Stuckies to be Stuckies. And you're gonna go to Stuckies, you're gonna get pecan log roll. Right. That's going to be made by Stuckey's and you're going to get some fresh Georgia pecans that taste amazing. And you're going to get some pretty fun souvenirs like those rubber alligators that those other places don't sell. Yeah. You're going to have an experience. That's what we're going to be. And, and, and what's that legacy you want to leave for that next generation of Stuckey's? Because I'm, I'm assuming this is for you an inflection point to oh have gosh. this continue for generations to come. What's that yes. legacy you believe you want to leave back for, leave for them? And I, I think that's a a distinguishing factor for a differentiator for family brands that we don't think short term. We don't mm. think we are making this a profitable company and then we're going to flip it. And we're going to sell it to the highest bidder. We're in it for the long haul. And yes, I'm absolutely thinking about the fourth generation. I'm very blessed that my um, my now deceased sister, her youngest son is in the business. He owns. Okay and operates uh, a couple of Stuckey's locations. So we've got the fourth generation gearing up. Uh, he's really interested more in the store development phase uh, aspect of the business and he's good at that and operations. So 
we've got some fourth generation planning already. And then my son has expressed an interest. And so right. I will have him working in the candy plant or on the at, at a store. I was going to have him work this summer, but then COVID hit. And right. <laughs> um, his dad vetoed that. And I totally respect that. And so... But we, he will be on the front lines working in the stores soon, I think. And, um, and then my daughter, who knows? Right now, she's, she's 14 and wants to be a bunch of different things. But And if you tell her what to I'm do, she's going to say no to it anyway. So you might as right? well <laughs> give me the room. And my business partner <laughs> owns half the company. We yeah. jointly own the company. And he's 15 years younger than me, or maybe more than that. He's, uh, yeah, he's more than 15 years younger than me. So... Mm-hmm. He is, um, he's the succession planning too. Yeah. You know, he's got another, you know, 15 plus years to run the company when I'm gone with his relative, you know, so I, I love that continuity there. And I think I made a really smart choice with my business partner. Well, Stephanie, I think there, there's so much, so much, so much more we could explore and I'm sure we'll have many chances to do it. But what things are cool about this, there's so many incredible things already from innovations going to what your your grandfather has done to what you have done, even that moment. I keep going back to that moment you decided to jump into this. I think that's what make disruptors disruptors, right? You, you have to do it, yeah. to your point. I'm going to make a decision yeah. move forward. But I, I but what's cool about this, I feel like we're also right in the midst of something special. So it, it'll be cool to keep talking as you go on because, uh, you know, I think we're seeing, you know, a legacy and a brand being built right in front of our eyes or rebuilt in front of our eyes depending on how you look at it so depending on your generation connection so thank you uh, uh, for being in the Disruptor Studio I, I, I'm looking forward and in fact I'm looking forward to getting a stucky hat I can wear in a bunch of my podcasts and stuff so I'll so I'm gonna, gonna be, yeah, I'm going to be definitely advocating for the brand and um, so we look forward to it and uh, uh, we will see you again soon That was Stephanie Stuckey here on the Disruptor Studio, and I'm sure you just enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, because just radiating it out of her voice and is her energy and her authenticity to the brand of Stuckey's, and not just because she was part of the Stuckey's family, it's her sincere belief in what her grandfather built and her family continued to drive, and her belief in terms of what that brand stands for, for the its customers, that she serves all over the country. So I look forward to continuing to see her her journey and make sure you follow Stephanie and Stuckey's on their journey on bringing this iconic brand uh, into the future of, in the world here. Make sure you also keep following us here on the Disruptor Studio. You can, of course, subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And also check us out on our brand new website at disruptorstudio.show, where you can also listen to any of your podcasts and check out any from the past that you'd like to listen to or listen to again. And also see some of our film sessions from before and as we go forward into the new year and start filming again, too. So check that out. Um, And we look forward to seeing you again in a few weeks. I'm Alex Gonzalez, and we'll see you again soon.